Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. All right. I'm sorry, guys. I'm Yes. Good job, Michael. All right. I need to borrow somebody's shirt. I see one red shirt back there with the chief's emblem on it. Ah, oh, there's another. All right. We're, we're getting better. I know some of you may not be chief's fans, but hey, there's some important things happening today is what I hear. And uh, so if I have the opportunity, maybe I'll get to watch some of that game. We'll find out. I don't know. Uh, and so, uh, but uh, hopefully we, we make it through that and get to the other side and play the Super Bowl. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, yeah, some of you like that. It, it's kind of interesting. You know, my dad always tells me, uh, you know, he's a little older than me. And my dad always tells me that uh, before I was born, we went to the Super Bowl twice. I don't know if I believe him. I just see it written in the books and stuff like that. I want to see him kind of go in my lifetime. That's a long time ago. Do you guys realize that's a long time ago? Wow. Anyway, we won't talk about that anymore. Hopefully, uh, they'll do okay. All right, uh, jump with me this morning. We're going to look over in the book of Genesis, and we're going to start, we're going to continue on in our series. This is day two of creation. We're going to touch creation here a little bit and see what uh, what's happening. We're looking at the biblical account of creation, and it, it's really a wonderful teaching point and learning point for us this morning. And many of you heard Pastor Steve as he talked about it last week and communicated to us day about day one. And, and something we need to keep in mind is that Genesis is revelation of God to Moses for God's people. And it wasn't a scientific explanation uh, of what God was doing. Nevertheless, it was God forming life. And science, uh, uh, scientists have only the opportunity to investigate and to try to figure out what God has formed. In reality, that should be humbling to a scientist if they're honest with themselves. Uh, just, as the, just as the honest medical doctor must recognize that they are simply, quote, practicing end of quote, medicine. So uh, we have to leave some things up to God. He knows what he's doing. And we're going to look together in this first part of the passage in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 6 to 8. Let's read this. I know the version that's up here is the newest version of the NIV, so it reads a little bit different than my version does, uh, but it's still meaning the same thing. And it says this, And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Hey, this is the beginning. You say, waters from the waters. Hey, it's the beginning. And verse 7, And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. I think it says vault in this other translation, right? And it was so... And God called the expanse, or that vault, heaven, or sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. So here we are, we're getting part of the, the creation and what God is doing as He's forming things. And this is the second big thing that God does, is to create atmosphere, so to speak, as He's forming it so things can live. This is the second day, and it seems important that Moses... 
uh, is not uh, recording every detail, although there are more details than a person tends to think about in the creation. It's just that he doesn't record it all, doesn't find it necessary for his purpose. And Moses records the account and says in verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. At this point, we see here in verse 8 that God called the expanse heaven or sky. It was that great divide between, so to speak, and God formed this atmosphere between the waters and He separated them. And we see that God is bringing things into order. We'll talk about that at another point. But one of those things that we can always note when we look at the account of creation and even some of the miracles that Jesus did, what was recorded in Scripture, many times it was God said. Not every time, but many times it was God said. God spoke it into existence. In fact, Jesus is called the Word of God, right? We understand that, that He is the Word of God. And in, first, or in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, it says this. I love this passage as uh, the Apostle John writes this down and he says, uh, In the beginning was the Word. That's a capital W. And the Word was with God. That's a capital G. And the Word was God. That's a capital G. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And we understand that the Apostle John is writing this here to help us understand who Jesus was and is. And I find it wonderful to show how He was there at creation when God was forming everything. Because He's part of the Trinity, right? He was the Word. The Scripture is plain. He was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. And it was something that God was doing that day. He is the Word. He is the one that speaks. So on day two, Jesus was there. He was part of this. And uh, the atmosphere that God created really created an environment for His creation to live and thrive. I think that's very important for us as we recognize when God just created things, He didn't just do it random without, without understanding, without purpose. Everything He did, He did with purpose. Uh, an atmosphere tends to prede uh, predetermine what lives and dies, Right? Just kind of the way it is. Depends on the atmosphere. It depends on what's going to live in it. Trees and plants can grow in some environments. And, but in other places, they have a harder time in growing. And some, they, they may even die. They may not even live in a certain environment. Uh, we can use an example of the citrus trees. Citrus trees are one example. And uh, most citrus trees thrive in warm uh, and tropical, humid temperatures or subtropical climates. And very few of them can tolerate frost. That'd be, I have a hard time here, right? And, uh, the, and lemon trees, are they're not one of those that can handle frost and freezing and all those kind of things very well. In fact, lemons are sensitive to the cold temperatures, and uh, even more so than oranges. When, when Jody and I lived out in Southern California, uh, we had a friend at our church that, who, uh, who actually was uh, working for UCR, University of uh, California, Riverside, 
and uh, he was a technician, and they worked with citrus all the time. That's what he did. And, uh, and that area out there in Riverside is one of the older areas with citrus in the United States, or at least in that part of the world. And they have an old tree there, like the, with the I think they call it the mother tree that's about 100 years old or so, uh, that is still living there that they produce, have produced a lot of citrus out of. Well, past all that story, uh, this guy uh, decided he was going to be kind to us, and he said, you want a lemon tree? And he said, I'll graft you one. And so he said, hey, that's cool. So he took a lemon tree, a small uh, a sprout or whatever you call it, and he, he uh, grafted it into what they call a dwarf rootstock. And that dwarf tree, would, it would only get up like this high or so, maybe a little bit bigger. They're not very big. And he said, that way you can, draw, uh, you can grow the thing in a pot. And uh, so, hey, that's cool. So he gave us that, and uh, we got to have that, and it grow, grew for a few years. And then we moved back home to Kansas. Oh. Maybe I should have just gave that tree to somebody else, but uh, we brought it home to Kansas. And once we get here, you know, of course, when we first came, it was, it was hot in the summer. That year was hot. It was like a drought. And then, then that winter got cold and there was snow on the ground. I think we even tried to protect the thing and put a, a bag or something over it and different things trying to protect this little lemon tree. But it looked at us and said, buddy, I'm not living in this. Either take me back or, or do something. But it bit the dust. It didn't make it. And uh, it was unprotected here. In fact, out there, they have all these kind of heaters and fans to blow in the orchards and stuff to try to keep it uh, to where it doesn't frost and damage those trees. But atmosphere, atmosphere really determines what lives and dies. God knew what he was doing when he was creating, and when he was creating the world and people and plants and animals and all those things, and uh, we know what kind of atmosphere God created, and he created a type that allowed these things to live, to grow, and to thrive. Atmosphere is also is so powerful that if anything that God may have created, it, it, uh, if he would have created it, if he hadn't formed the proper type of atmosphere, it would have died, right? So we need to ask ourselves on another note here as we consider what God has done, what kind of atmosphere do we form around our lives? You could also ask this question as well. What kind of atmosphere do we position ourselves in as well? Those are two important questions as we kind of look at the creation story and kind of apply it to our lives a little bit today. We want to do so, uh, God wants to do something in your life. God wants to do something in each one of our lives, and God gets us ready to do His work in and through us. It's His process, it's what He does, and the truth is, is that many things God wants to do are already in the hearts of His people. He puts those things down in us, and that's why we need to stay in tune with God, and that's really why the first part of the year, one of the reasons why we had that time of prayer, that week of prayer, well, the intention is to be able to step back a little bit, seek the Lord, talk to the Lord, get the mind of God, and then move on in the direction that He has us to go. Because we're His, right? We're His people. He's created us, He's formed us, and we've chosen to follow Him, and we have to keep our minds set on the things of God. Maybe he's going to open doors in your life. 
Uh, maybe he's going to do in something in you that he wants to do, and knowing that he's the only one that can do that through your life. Prayer really is part of the rhythms of our life as followers of Christ. But again, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of an atmosphere do you position yourself in? We all have to consider that because we live in this world. This world is not a perfect world, is it, by any means? The atmosphere that you spend the most time in is what is having the most impact in your life. When God was making Abram into the man he was going to call, had called him to be, really he took him away from his father's house. And there's some interesting things about this. We're going to see a few things. We can't look at all the detail. But this guy, when he was leaving his family's house or the home place, if you want to say it, if you're from a farm, when he was doing that, he was not a young man. He was 75. Let's look at what Scripture says there. Again, I read it earlier to you, and you heard it in that prophetic word. I believe that God is trying to say something to us. Genesis 12, 1, he says, The Lord said said to Abram, Go to you from your country, your people, and your father's household, to the land I will show you. See, God had a plan for Abram. His dad worshipped the moon from what we understand. That's, that's what we understand from history. And he's stepping out of there. God had a plan for Abram. He was to be later called Abraham. And God told him to leave the atmosphere that he was in. Now, Abram had a choice to make. And we find his choice over here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. And it says this, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, and he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran. They set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And we know there's some details. He goes to Egypt and such, but there's some more details to all that, and you can look at that as you're in your regular Bible reading. It's interesting here that Abram and his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot left Abram's family in Haran, and Abraham followed God's will and left the environment that he was in so that he could follow God's plan for his life. He was entering a covenant with God. He was entering that covenant with him. And But you have to notice here that Lot, his nephew, came along for the ride, right? He came along for the ride, and he was blessed because he was there with, with Abraham, who was serving God. And uh, he comes along, and after a series of events, Abraham and Lot arrived in Canaan, and uh, they got to choose some land. They, they had a choice ahead of them uh, because uh, they, they started growing. They had all these herds and all these staff and all, these, all this stuff, so to speak. They were growing, and so they had to figure out, what are we going to do when this land can't sustain us both in the same place? We're going to have to spread out over here. You know, grass can only feed so many animals. And so they said, well, what are we going to do here? So uh, the, Lord, the Lord helped Abram, uh, and Abram made a choice, and he, and, he told, and he told Lot, hey, you can make a choice and choose the land that you want to take. So look at what it says there in Genesis 13, verse 10. It says, Lot looked around, and he saw the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord. It was a nice place. 
And like the land of Egypt, now you're looking at it, you say, land of Egypt, we're thinking about desert and all that kind of stuff. But remember, if you look in the Delta section and those places, northern Egypt, and down by the Nile and stuff, hey, they could grow all kinds of stuff and still do. So he's comparing it to that. He's not really comparing it to the desert side of things like that. But, and, and, and then he goes on, he says there in parentheses, in my version, it says, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But here in the end, we find that uh, Lot was, uh, he was, he became stuck in that cesspool environment that was there. And you can go through and read about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and all the things that were crazy happening there. Uh, in fact, verse, verse, uh, verse 13 says, Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And then back in verse 12, it even says this. It says, Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Evidently, he, the place looked great. And he's like, hey, let me stick it out here. I enjoy this place. And uh, so that's what he did. And in fact, it was a wicked place. Yep, yeah, because the area looked so productive, he was willing to live in that atmosphere. Abraham wasn't willing to. Uh, he knew God would take care of him even in the less productive soil that was around him. And he knew that he had a covenant with God. But following God was worth it for him. That was enough for him as far as he was concerned. Lot was blessed by God with Abraham while he stuck it out with Abraham. But Lot later chose the well-watered plain that was that cesspool. Don't even like to use that word, but that's kind of what it was, the cesspool of Sodom. And then over in Gomorrah and those places are on the plain. The thing was, is God was going to judge those places, judge the people for how they had been living, what they had been doing. And you can find here, and, and you can go through and read all of that if you like. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, information there with chapters. But look in verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 16, and what it says here. It says, when he, that's Lot, hesitated... The men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. See, he, even Lot himself had some hesitation about leaving there at that point in time. But then these guys grab a hold of them and get them out of there. And the atmosphere was so bad that it actually changed his family. And we won't read all of it, but if you look at that past the passages that we're going to read today, you will find that his family became a wreck. A wreck. And later, the people of Israel had to deal with Lot's family in the future. But he had to get out of there. Lot even hesitated to get out of that envir environment, but he barely made it out. And the Lord and Lot's wife couldn't handle leaving very well, and her attachment really became her demise. She was unwilling to change. What kind of place are you willing to hang out in? It may not just be place. It could be some kind of atmosphere. What, what kind of place are you willing to hang out in? And when God created the earth, He formed an atmosphere that could provide a place to live. And He formed it to be good for living, right? That's the way God created it to be. But man has kind of messed the spiritual atmosphere up because of our own sinfulness, right? 
We get that. We find it. It didn't take them long. I don't know how long it was from the creation of the world uh, until Adam. And I know you can look at Scripture and try to decipher some of that. But one way or the other, we really don't fully know. And and I don't know how long it was, but they messed up. It didn't take long. And the world goes into chaos because of sin. What we have to realize is uh, we, we can have a great effect on our world and others when we uh, form the right kind of atmosphere around us. And, and here's the other question that I kind of asked earlier. Uh, what kind of an atmosphere do you form around yourself? In your family, uh, in, your, in your household, uh, in your work or your job, uh, in church? And what kind, what kind of atmosphere do you form around? What kind of atmosphere do you form? Honestly, we're all responsible, each and every one of us, for these kind of things. And what kind of atmosphere do we want to pass on to the next generation past us? What do we want to pass on to our kids? What do we want to pass on to our grandkids and great-grandkids? What do we want to pass on if the Lord tarries? And I think each and every one of us should be able to step back and ask ourselves honestly that question, and then we should be able to say, what am I passing on? Because honestly, what we have to do is what we pass on is the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? We pass it all on in some sense, and that's why we have to consider what kind of environment that we, that we form in our lives and, uh, and, and we're not talking about, when we talk about atmosphere uh, and passing on to the next generation, I'm really not talking about the scientific side of that. And I mean, you can get into all the world stuff. I, I'm, not, I'm just not doing that. I don't think that's what's necessary here at this point. But here's some areas of atmosphere that you can influence. Back in Hebrews chapter 10, if you look with me, uh, and, and on the screen it should show you Hebrews 10 verse 23, it says this. Writer is challenging believers, one, not to fall away or run away because of things that are happening in their lives. And this is what he says. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's not, let's not be shaky. It's kind of like riding a bicycle. You ever, you remember when you first learned how to ride a bicycle? I remember when I, I was kind of slow. I got, I got it done at six. And then I remember my brother, and we grew up on a gravel road. And so the gravel was rough. So we got on the part that was just dirt, right? That was smooth as long as it wasn't raining and muddy. And uh, my brother's behind me. He's older. And I got this bike at a garage sale or whatever. And here I am on this thing. And my brother is pushing me. And little did I know he let go. Man, why did he have to do that? He let go. And then I landed in kind of in a ditch in an Osage orange tree. We call them hedge trees here, or bodark from the south. If you know what that is, it's got lots of little thorns on it. And they are not nice. And so that, that was kind of a tough thing. But, but when I think of swerving, let's not be swerving like I was on that little bicycle trying to go somewhere. Let's, let, let's hold fast to the hope that we profess. And then we need to consider how we can spur other people on and encourage one another. Look at verse 25 with me. It says, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more 
as you see the day approaching. Now, do you see that word day there? That's a capital D. That has some meaning to us. If you look at it face value, you may not notice it, but really he's referring to the day of the Lord, which comes right out of the Old Testament, and then it's brought together into the New Testament. The day of the Lord is that time of judgment, but it's also that time of of return of Christ as well. And we see that that's an important thing. So while we see that day approaching, let's encourage each other while we still can, right? If we're going to stay strong in our faith and in our, uh, in our relationship with God, that means that we have to be careful to meet together often. Don't give up meeting at church. We need each other more and more as the times get challenging because they do get challenging. We, we need the atmosphere that is created when we gather together worshiping God. We heard that, that tongues and interpretation and biblical comes out of Corinthians. We see that it's in several places and part of the giftings that the Holy Spirit provides for the church or the body. But we see that and it took place in that time where we, what we were focused on the Lord. We were focusing on Him and worshiping Him. See, there can be a shift of atmosphere when Jesus comes on the scene. If you look in the book of Luke chapter 8, Verse 50 and to 55, uh, there's a, this guy named Jairus, and he, he lost his daughter to a sickness. She was ill, and they sent people, went to try to get a hold of Jesus, say, hey, Jesus, would you help her? And, uh, and then, then they get word, hey, she's gone. She's passed. And so Jesus told Jer- uh, Jairus, he said, don't just, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. So when, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. And it's interesting to see what Jesus says to this crowd at this point. He says, stop wailing, Jesus said. He is not de- uh, she is not dead, but asleep. And they, that was interesting to them. So what did they do? Did they say, oh, yeah, Jesus, you're right. No, they didn't say that. In fact, it says in verse 53 that they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. She is gone. What are you talking about, Jesus? This verse 54 says, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. I kind of wonder if, when that happened if Jesus had his own laugh, right? And I don't know. We don't know. Scripture doesn't say that. But, but in some sense, he did. He had the last word on the, on the matter. It went from mourning. It went from this negative thing to healing and God working in the situation, all because Jesus shifted the atmosphere in that place. There's uh, some of you may have heard of Smith Wigglesworth uh, from the early 1900s and late 1800s, and he had some handwritten notes. And he told a story about a time he was riding on a train and he sat down by a group of people and uh, they sensed something. And he got up and he, and he walked to another part of the train and they noticed something changed around them. Uh, they talked about it when he left and then he came back and that presence came with him again. And they asked him about it. And out of that time, I don't know what all the exchange was at that point, but evidently he, uh, Wigglesworth was able to use that as a witness to share with them. And five of those people put their faith in the Lord. 
because they recognized there was something about what God was doing, and it was all about that atmosphere because Christ was in him. And the scripture talks about the Spirit of God who lives in us who follow Christ, if, if Christ has come into our lives. So work at becoming a good influencer and making right the right atmosphere in the room that you're in. We have to ask, are, are you willing to form that right atmosphere at your work? Not always an easy thing, right? It's not always. Depends on your work. Maybe at home or even at church, we have to create that right atmosphere in, in some sense. Don't be like those ten spies who held back God's people uh, and uh, from going into the promised land. We, we know that Joshua and Caleb, they, they couldn't even overcome those ten negative people when God was trying to take them into the promised land. We could say they did, but, but it ended up taking about 40-some years for that to happen. In fact, if you look with me here into Joshua chapter 14, verse 10, it tells us this. It should be on the screen. It says, Now then, just as the Lord promised, He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time He said this to Moses. Now, now this is Caleb saying it. He said, while, while Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. Wow, he's a senior. Verse 11, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord has promised me this day. Could you imagine, 85 years old. When I think of that, some will say, blow it off and say, oh, they're just messing up with ages. I don't know about that. I remember when I was in West Africa, and I went up to Maduguri State where uh, I didn't live there, but it was up in northern, northeastern Nigeria up near Chad. And uh, when I went up there, we went to uh, uh, view some ministry projects that were up in the mountains. And I remember when we got to this, the mountain, the foothills of the mountain, uh, the, an older guy met us. And I was kind of surprised he was 80 years old. And uh, this guy was going to be our guide to take us up on top of the mountain. I was in my 20s. The other guys that were with me were probably uh, 20, maybe 30 or so. And that man who was 80 years old, who lived in that environment, uh, he ran over us. He ran away from us climbing that mountain. I'm not joking. I'm not overstating. That guy knew what he was doing. He would stop now and then and look. And he would kind of help us once in a while. I mean, he, he was good at that. So when I think about these guys thinking, you know what, nothing's going to stop us. And I think for us as followers of Christ, nothing should stop us from uh, allowing the atmosphere to change because of what our age is or our background or where we're from or all of those kind of things. We can't let those things limit us. We have to be people who are willing to share our lives with others and to be a witness in our community. If we don't do it, no one else is going to do it. If we don't live it out, if we're not witnesses of Jesus and nobody else is going to do it, why would they want to be witnesses of Jesus if they don't even know Him? We need to be willing to bring that right atmosphere. Atmosphere can be spiritual. It can include our attitudes. The strongest atmosphere really is affected by God Himself. Create an atmosphere that welcomes God's presence 
I have to ask, are you looking to engage the Lord? We, we, don't, want to be like, uh, we don't want to be like the priest that the prophet Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 8. And it says there, I think it's on the screen for you, it says, the priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those, uh, those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. See, they weren't concerned enough to be able to ask, where is the Lord? They weren't concerned enough to be able to really engage in worship. There's a battle going on. An atmosphere allows things to live or to die. When God was creating, He anticipated life. That's why He created how He did. He anticipated us. He anticipated you. He anticipated forming all the animals. And Lord knows there are a lot of those things out there. I find it kind of interesting that every time the scientists find something in the great deep, you know, they find something in the ocean, they're like, what is that? We don't, didn't even know that existed. And I'm sure God is just like shaking his head and has his hand over his mouth just laughing. So I was there, guys. I was there when that happened. But these priests, they, they, they weren't concerned enough to be able to ask, where is the Lord? God was offended by that. What you and I should be saying is, Lord, where are you? Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you working in my life. I need you working in my family. I would need you working in my community, on my job, in these different places. We all need to be willing to say, Lord, I, I need you. There's that battle going on. I love this biblical song. It's over in Psalm chapter 24. I'm going to read a portion to you this morning, and it should be on the screen for you. It says in verse 3 of chapter 24, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The one who has hand, clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up, I love this, I love this verse, verse 7 here. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Do you want to meet Him? Do you welcome His presence into your life? He says there in verse 4, who has clean hands and a pure heart, the only way that happens today is through the blood of Christ. And putting our faith and our trust in Him. We understand for them, they had to go through the sacrificial system and all that, but we put our faith and our trust in what the Lord Jesus has done for us. When it comes to worship, when it comes to praising God, be willing to step outside of your comfort zone with some, with some, uh, with some strength. Give thanks to God for who He is. Do it out loud. not just in your heart. Let praise be enthusiastic. If you were at the Chiefs game today, maybe somebody's going. Who's going to the Chiefs? Anybody? You probably would have already been gone, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking, I know somebody had family members in the early service going. If you were at the Chiefs game, though, today, and if you liked them, that is. If you don't, well, we'll pray for you. But it... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's all good. It's, they're all just teams, right? But if you were there, I don't think you would do this. 
I don't think you would like sit down in your chair and when Mahomes comes by and throws one of those balls like that and he releases that and trying to get Kelsey or somebody to catch that thing, and I don't think you would say, come on, Chiefs, if you can. I don't really think you would. I think most of us would say, let's go, or whatever you're saying. I don't know. Hope it's good. <laughs> Fans are fanatics. Worshippers really are a little fanatic, too. When you come to church, are you ready to worship God? Or are you still frustrated over what you had for breakfast? When you come to service, are you still focused on getting that big deal at work? Come, get ready, engage the Lord. Allow the Lord to work in your life. We all have to do that because we know we need Him. We need him. Dr. Cho is a senior, was a former senior pastor of Udeo Christian Center uh, in South Korea. He was, it used to be at least the largest church in the world uh, as an AG church. And he used to say this. He said, when we pray, the atmosphere shifts. Pray that God's presence will overcome the negative and destructive uh, atmosphere that we live in in this world. In your life groups, welcome the Spirit of God. Something happens when the atmosphere is right. How you view things can affect your atmosphere as well. We have to do, that can have to do with our attitude. We all need to have an attitude adjustment now and then. That's just normal. We're human beings, right? Creating an atmosphere God can work in is important. And when you come asking, where is God? That's important. God, where are you? It matters when you're willing to say, God, where are you? I need you. When you come to service saying, God, I want to meet you today, it really does matter. Music is one of the things that helps us to focus on Him. And the words of the songs help us to focus on Him. And music affects the atmosphere and produces the right atmosphere, but music doesn't have to be perfect. If we think it does, we are mistaken and we're worshiping the wrong thing. It's vital that you're open and ready as you worship. I remember when I went, when I first went to West Africa and, and been in some different places, and I remember knowing what traditional worship was in the United States and our churches here in Northeast Kansas. I, I knew what it was like. And then when I went to a foreign land, instead of having six strings on their guitars, they have four on them, and they beat a gourd. Even if it's a nice church, they have a nicer gourd with seeds around it. They did different things. They had some great music, but it wasn't anything like I was used to or grew up around. I had to learn that the type of music really should not affect us and shouldn't be dependent on that or how we worship God. Because truly, worship comes from the heart. It comes from inside of us. And it's important for us as followers of Christ to be able to lift Him up no matter where we're at. As we wrap this up this morning, Value atmosphere. Even making it into worship service on time and being ready to lift up the Lord shows our desire to worship. For you as ushers and greeters, uh, you, set, you set an atmosphere, and when you enter the worship, it, 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 makes, it makes a difference. 
If you worship and engage the Lord, it, it may impact not only your life, but it may impact others' lives around you as well. Have you considered that you can be an instrument to help set that atmosphere of faith and hope? What atmosphere are you creating in your family, uh, in your work, in your church? We find here in the second day of creation, God created the expanse, and He said, let there be an expanse. And God called that expanse heaven or sky. He created an atmosphere so there would be life. Are you moving toward the agenda of God? Or are you moving towards your own agenda today? Would you stand with me this morning? Is there an atmosphere that you need to move from? Is there an atmosphere that you need to form as you step into God's presence today? I think these are some questions that we must ask ourselves in the presence of God as we recognize what Jesus has done for us.